What is up, everybody out there? That was a really weird intro. I've got some weird energy going on, maybe some butterflies. Because it is a national championship Monday. Peyton Gallagher, Gabe Schwartz, it's Heat Check. No time, wa- no time limit today. We got we got plenty to get through and yeah. nothing limiting us. A massive preview for, and maybe we'll just address the, no pun intended, bear in the room oh. right off the rip and ask ourselves the question of, is this matchup tonight between Gonzaga, between Baylor, not only the most anticipated national championship matchup that you can remember in our short viewing lives, Gabe, but maybe one of the best ever. It is... Certainly not the two biggest school names. It's certainly not the two biggest TV draws. But in terms of actual basketball abilities and um, comparison to the rest of the competition of college basketball Mm -hmm. in a year, it is one of the best, uh, one of the most anticipated for college basketball junkies. I'm not saying the general population, but for college basketball junkies. And I think the general population who does tune in is going to be overwhelmed by some great basketball I think we were overwhelmed even we were overwhelmed by some great basketball on Saturday night with UCLA and Gonzaga um I think that this is the best national championship matchup since Kansas Memphis 2008 yeah and Kempom would definitely have you believe yes for sure I think when you look at the raw facts of the matter and given these teams didn't play as many games as we've seen some teams play in years past because of COVID That was always going to be assumed about the season. I think that both these teams in their non-conference proved their mettle and proved their worth and played non-conference schedules. Compensatory or compensatory of that of a team that had that in mind. They went out and played people with that fact kind of staring them in the face as they went out to schedule. So I say this with a grain of salt to an extent, but like, this is the fewest cumulative losses between two contestants in a national championship game ever. Two. And we can even make sit here and make an argument about whether or not Baylor, who was on an undefeated pace until their COVID pause, maybe would have fewer than two had they not had the COVID pause. They may have more. Who knows? But by the numbers, you may balk at what would appear to be a hyperbolic statement in us just declaring this the best national championship matchup ever. It certainly will not rate that way. I can promise you that. But by the numbers, this very well could be. It is going to be. And the the matchups on the court make it even more of a fascinating game in terms of what Davion Mitchell can present exactly. against Jalen Suggs. Um, we were eating lunch earlier today discussing what we think about the game and just uh, – I'm overwhelmed by the thought of what does Baylor like? What is the use for Mark Vital in this game? And you you have less worry about that than I do. Um, I think that Scott Drew has his work cut out for him in terms of figuring out who can guard Drew Timmy and who can attack Drew Timmy to the point where maybe you can get some foul trouble or, or some sort of um, situation in that. My general question that I'd pose to you: What excites you most about tonight's game? I think that it just comes down to. The guards. I think that the guards versus the guards on one side versus the other, Ayayi, Suggs, and Kispert versus Teague, Butler, and Mitchell, that's one of those six guys is going to have a game that plenty of people remember. And I, I, 
to me, it's almost like drawing names out of a hat in terms of who it is. Yeah, and I get that. I I really do think you are underrating the importance of Mark Vidal. You're saying he's not going to play. I think you're dead well, wrong about that. I said I'm not sure how long he can play for. He didn't yeah, play, I think you're dead wrong he didn't about play, that. He didn't play in the last eight minutes of the semifinal game. And I get that against a, a faster team also in the last eight minutes of the semifinal or 12, game. 12. Well, again, in the last 12 minutes of the semifinal game, it wasn't a game. So that probably had something to do with starters not playing as much. I would. Everybody else played, though. Think. And I would also say that there is evidence to be shown, as seen in the last game that we saw Gonzaga play against UCLA, that the way to beat Drew Timmy is not necessarily with a guy like Evan Mobley. Because he had success with post hooks, taking on Mobley one-on-one. Cody Riley, for a large part of that game, was able to marginalize Timmy by having a lower center of gravity and being hard to move, hard to get shots over. And that's what Mark Vidal brings. Additionally, I think from a matchup perspective, Vidal is one of the rare players in the country who can genuinely, and this is going to be his best NBA trait, and if he has any NBA future, it will be because of this, and that's a long shot too. But like, the thing that I'm trying to say is that dude can genuinely switch 1-5, to five, which is a rare thing in college basketball. It is a trait that is going to be massively important in trying to defend that pick and roll, which is a big initiator of offense for Gonzaga with Timmy, right? That's how they get him going. That's how they got him in the overtime rolling is they are really good about getting him on the mismatch, on the pick and roll, pulling the ball back out, and then throwing a pass to him on the block for him to go to work over a smaller defender and get easy buckets. That's how they scored the first six points of overtime against UCLA. And I think with Vital, you're able to do some things that UCLA was unable to because he's able to hedge harder on the pick and roll and double the ball handler and get the ball out of his hands and then quickly scram switch back and get on to Timmy. And that's why I think he's valuable. It's just if they get into a game where they're getting outscored heavily early, his role is going to be significantly reduced because offensively he contributes much closer to nothing than he does to something of substance. He's not he's not a threat offensively to do anything aside from offensive rebound. And the only way that I think that he really takes advantage of the offensive rebounding class is if he somehow gets matched up with Corey Kispert. Because if if Mark Vital is in a situation where Baylor is trailing and they're trying to get threes up and, and whatever, it's going to be tough for Vital to be able to make an impact offensively. I think that the one thing, Baylor is a one seed, UCLA was an 11, but the one thing that UCLA had that Baylor doesn't is Cody Riley. Like, I don't think that Baylor has a big who can take advantage. Um, and I know that Cody Riley played out of his mind and made mid-range jump shots at a rate that he does not normally do. Um, with that being said, I think that his ability to attack the basket and like utilize um, body control and such to get layups and, and mm-hmm. all of those things in traffic was something that UCLA relied upon. And it's something that I don't necessarily think that Jonathan Chamwa Chachua is going to do. I don't think that it's something that Flo Thamba is going to do. I don't think it's something yeah. that Baylor should try to do. They shouldn't try to force that. If anything, I think Baylor's best hope might be you just go with Matt Meyer at the five and you just five out spread it like that. I think uh, Matt Meyer is massive in this game, and I I think it could be. I think that I'm I'm just 
But I think that low on on vitals importance in this for game. as much floor spread as Meyer's going to provide. That is almost ensuring that unless you're able to trap at a ridiculously high level to get the ball out of Timmy's hands and then recover to shooters, that you're going to get killed on the offensive end when Gonzaga's on offense. When you're on defense, Gonzaga's on offense. You're going to give up more points than I think you score that way. I also think that when you look at Gonzaga, they're a really good team in a lot of ways, right? But of course they are. They're undefeated. They're one of the greatest college basketball teams ever. But one of the things that makes them Gonzaga, makes them this unbeatable force so far this year, is the fact that they run, and they don't just run off misses. They'll take the ball out of their own basket and be on the offensive end of the floor scoring on you in less than three seconds. And having Mark Vidal out there to recover, having his athleticism as a guy that could like you know chase down Jalen Suggs and pin him against the backboard, having him out there to do that I think will be valuable um, as well. I think, the that, I think that Vital's biggest... Uh, I think Vital is vital. Okay, if if he's going to make an impact, it's going to be because Baylor decides to... They, This is something I, I've seen thrown out there. The guard drew Timmy as if he's... I know he's not the lob threat, but if, if you guard drew Timmy in the way that Baylor guarded Yudoka Azubuki in the first matchup last year, where you front the post, you make it so that force Gonzaga to make post-entry feeds over the top and then have Mark Vidal play basically free safety and try to collapse double and see if Drew Timmy can be forced into making some bad decisions. I think that it's it. one of these two teams is going to win or lose and ultimately based it's going to be based upon, I think, three-point percentage. Um, I think that both teams are so good, and I understand mm-hmm. that I understand that Gonzaga is the statistically the best two-point shooting offense in the history of college yeah. basketball. And as long as they, I think, don't dip below like 0.6 tonight um, in terms of their percentages. With that being said, I, I think that it's so close that it, like a making three more threes than your opponent and having a nine-point advantage from the from deep is going to be something that can change this game. And I hear that. I think that is... Something that if Baylor is going to win this game, it will be behind the arc, right? They are the best three-point shooting team in the country by the numbers this year. Just below 42%, practically 42%. And I wish that we had the money to be able to pay Heat Check on our very limited budget to um, pay for the second spectrum tracking numbers that cost thousands of dollars. But... I would love, love, love to see the shooting percentages for Baylor when there's a defender six feet away on a closeout as opposed to like one feet away, which is considered smothered. Because on the NBA website, you can see those numbers. You can't at the college level. It feels like, though, Baylor is the best shot-making team in the country on like just tough, difficult. They get good looks, but it feels like they make a bunch of very difficult-looking shots every game. And they're going to have to again today. Like, the Achilles heel of Gonzaga, if there is one, and this is not really much of an Achilles heel, is that if a team just makes a lot of really difficult shots against them, they can beat them. Well, Which it, is not really an Achilles heel. It's just you have to play perfectly to beat them. I guess the, I think the Achilles heel of Gonzaga is that if if you— both of these teams are in danger of, and certainly I think Gonzaga could get got in the way that— 
UCLA didn't speed the thing up. UCLA played the game at the tempo that they wanted to, slowed it down, and made it a game because they were efficient, not because they were running and gunning and, and hitting a bunch of shots, even though they scored 90 points. Mm-hmm. The points per possession, I think, was like 1.31 points per possession, which is absurd at the collegiate level. Um, that's something that most teams aren't doing. But with the tempo that Gonzaga plays, and I think that adjusted tempo, they're like top five in the country. I believe right. it's, it's looking at it now. They're seventh in the country in adjusted tempo. If you run that fast and you play against a team like Baylor who can go on these – 9 2, 11 2, 15 5 spurts, you run into the danger of Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, Maceo T going on a, on a moment where it's three threes in a row. Maceo Teague is doing the, I guess I just learned about this last week. He's his his hand signal, he puts the phone up, call God, apparently, is mm-hmm. what he does. That's the thing. Um, if that happens to you, Gonzaga could get into a, a hole pretty quickly, and the two coming back with a a war of twos with the best two-point offense in the country might be tough. So I, I really think that G- Baylor's going to give them as good of a game as possible. I think that this is going to be a great matchup. Do you want to get into my uh, – I brought some game notes, some numbers. I want to see if you think that these numbers matter or don't matter, or just your thoughts in general. Okay. okay. Let's do it. Okay, number – Number one, but it's not number one. It's the number 45. That is the amount of years since Indiana completed its undefeated season in 1976, mm-hmm. the last time a team went undefeated in Division One college basketball. On a scale of one, I'm not that impressed because uh, it's, the, it's the WCC. Uh, it could be a lot more impressive. Two, ten, this is the best team ever. Um where do you fall on this Gonzaga team, and what would this win? How would people remember this team if they win this thing? It's so hard to say because, and that's a cop out, but it is so difficult to um, understand how we are going to understand this season going forward because of COVID. I know that the narratives if Gonzaga loses are going to be out of control. Like people I don't think are going to people are going to basketball reference and say, "Well, they almost lost to an 11 seed UCLA. Um, they didn't really beat anybody in the WCC." Like people are going to be ridiculous with this and now. This this Gonzaga team is genu- genuinely one of the very best ever. Um talent-wise, obviously they're not up to the points that Kentucky was at when they lost to Wisconsin in the Final Four. But I will say that in terms of a dominance wire-to-wire standpoint, I mean, this has been the best season a college basketball team has ever put together. In terms of efficiency numbers, and as a Ken Palm guy, I have to agree with that. The fact that their non-conference, and we said this a lot, Mm -hmm. their non-conference schedule was the most difficult based on the amount of AP top 10 teams they played of any team ever, and they still missed out on an opportunity to play Tennessee, who at the time was a top 15, top 10 team, and an opportunity to play Baylor. People forget that. To play Baylor in the preseason because that game got canceled for COVID reasons. It's supposed to be December 5th. Yep. Yeah. They also were trying to schedule Houston, and then Houston— Houston didn't want the smoke. They wanted to play Our Lady of the Lake instead. Um, not the best look for Kelvin Sampson. And uh, nope. honestly, I think I think he knew 
and that's why what happened on Saturday happened to them. The second number, I th- okay, as far as my thoughts on that, I think that Gonzaga, with this title win, is going down as a top three to five-ish team of all time in college basketball rankings. Um, I think that they will be docked, whether you like it or not, I think that they will slightly be docked for the fact that it wasn't a full 40-0 season. Yeah, that's stupid. I, and I think that they will slightly be docked by the fact that they didn't necessarily have to go on the road getting the rowdiest crowds ever for every WCC game, the, the crazy the game at BYU. Game BYU. Yeah, okay. okay. And But you can't tell me that like BYU couldn't have you know, knocked them off. No, I can't tell you that. Because BYU gave them a great game at the WCC tournament. I'm just saying top three to five team if they win, top ten team no matter what um, in my book. Second number, nine. This is the ninth time I I gave you this number as we sat at lunch with our good friend Braden Bell. Ninth time since 1979. First tournament, that was the first tournament that we had seeds in the tournament that two number one seeds have met in the national championship game. Mm -hmm. These have been, there haven't been any duds. These have been elite games. I'm going to run through the gauntlet, and and you can kind of tell me what you're thinking as far as um, the best ones of these 1v1 seeds. 1982, Michael Jordan hits a game winner against Georgetown. The young Michael Jordan at UNC wasn't the best player on UNC's team, but makes the biggest play. That's 1982, UNC over Georgetown. 1993 is the Chris Webber timeout game. Calls a timeout, they don't have one. Um, Woody Durham, you know you know everything from there. UNC over Michigan in 1993. Number three of 1v1 seeds in a national championship game is 1999, UConn over Duke. It's Jim Calhoun's first national championship win. Richard Hamilton team, they beat Duke, take down Coach K in a three-point game, so really competitive game. 2005, you get UNC over Illinois. That's the Darren Williams, the D. Brown team, the leftovers from Bill Self with Bruce Weber against Roy Williams. He gets there. He wins the national championship in his second year at UNC. Absolutely. The fifth game is Florida over Ohio State, Greg Oden against the Florida Dynasty. The sixth game is Kansas over Memphis, Mario Mario's Miracle. The seventh is Duke over Wisconsin in 2015. That was a great game, great back and forth. I'm certainly higher on that 2015 Wisconsin team and that 2015 Duke team in terms of national, like where they stack up all time than you are. And then 2017, I think 2017 was probably the worst one. And I guess if people are going to be negative, Gonzaga was included in it. But UNC over Gonzaga was still a good game, was still a competitive game. Out of that game, it probably would have been a better game. Heavily, heavily whistled game. Mm -hmm. So. Give me your pick. Which one of those is your favorite one of those games? And Dude, does that – not a question. Am I overly jinxing it to say it's like C, this – It's C.B. Floyd. It's got to be North Carolina and, and UNC just for the – North Carolina and UNC? North, wait, which I, – I, North Carolina, Georgetown. Okay. Don't know, I've got Hubert Davis and things on the brain yeah. percolating, and we can talk about that later too. Um, but, no, UNC Georgetown to me has to be just – again, we weren't alive for it. You could say the worst of the games that you read off would be the one that we would be the most consciously aware of, which was that Gonzaga, um, North Carolina game. But no, I just think from the fact that the Jordan legend started with that game, it has to be just also based on like the legendary players that featured in that because it was worthy in that game as well. It was Ewing, 
it was old Big East. It was you know short shorts. Dean Smith. The Superdome. No, it has to be that one. I'd say Michigan and North Carolina comes in as the second. Over. I mean, the the Kansas Memphis game was I'm incredible. The thirty for thirties, I suppose. The Kansas Memphis game was nuts, and I think that the Duke the Duke Wisconsin game is. Honestly, a low key great game there, just because one we got we got like a random a random really good uh, Jones game and and Grayson Allen kind of making his debut on the scene. Um, that just stands out to me. And what those eight games all being really good games, all being decided by um, less than ten points, mm-hmm. makes me think there's no way tonight's a blowout. I mean, historically. Yeah, there's no way. And like, also historically, shout out to the good people at the Ion College Basketball Podcast for this little nugget. <laughs> so this has happened five times now that the teams that were preseason AP one and two have seen each other in the national title game. This is insane, but in each of those games, the number two ranked team in the preseason poll, regardless of whether or not they were the actual number one seed or higher seeded team, come the national championship game. The team that was before the year seeded ranked number two has won all five. Scott Drew likes that stat. Scott Drew does like that stat. That's that's crazy. I mean, it's probably just a fluky thing, but it's still there. And I'm sure that I don't know what all those situations are, but would have to think that it was those were probably close games as well. The third number that I'm going to offer to you is four. So in the five NCAA tournament games that Baylor has played, they've had four different leading scorers. Macy Oteague had 22 against Hartford. Matthew Meyer had 17 against yeah. Wisconsin. Adam Flagler had 16. So that's two guys off the bench. Um, Flagler had 16 against Villanova. Teague had 22 against Arkansas. Jared Butler comes out, has 17 against Houston. Whose game is it tonight if I, if I force you to pick? Who leads Baylor in scoring tonight? I, I think it's if they're going to win, I think it's got to be Jared Butler. And you're going to say that you know Davion has been their best player in the tournament. You would be correct, factually. He has been. But I think for them to pull this off, it's going to have to be one of those where Jared Butler, similar to what he has done to Kansas the last two years, he's going to have to give them that, that 30 bomb. That we've been in, he's been due. It's been a while since he's had one of those games where he just can't miss, it feels like. So I think well the, the Houston game he couldn't miss in the first half right exactly but the the total point and it's insane to me that they are at this stage right now they've not had to go through the hardest road at all maybe we should talk a little bit more about that the best team they played mm. is Arkansas by far to me to me Wisconsin Villanova are and I think tough teams Villanova was fraudulent in a lot of ways in their Sweet 16 appearance they played they gave him a good push though for like a little while and then Baylor. But it's insane to me that they've only had one 20-point scorer this entire tournament. Yeah. Gonzaga's had one every single game, correct? It's been a more collective effort from the Baylor group. Yeah, because Timmy's had 20 and 4, and I think he, he joins a group with like Kevin Rance and um, Zion Williamson to be the only players, something like that, to get 20 and 4 consecutive tournament games, which is ridiculous too. But it couldn't have been Durant. He only played two tournament games. 
We lost to Nick Young, Swaggy P. No, so it could have been KD. Maybe I'm thinking of Melo. I know it was... It that was, That would make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't check me. Check <laughs> okay. me on that. I'm okay. I'm wrong about that. But I know that the 20 and 4 consecutive is like a really difficult thing to find in the history of the NCAA tournament. And yeah, Gonzaga's mainly got it from Timmy in terms of like just raw numbers and scoring production, but... To answer the question, to come back and answer the question, I think it's got to be Jared Butler if they're going to win. Okay. What do you think? I think that – so I think that it's probably going to be Jared Butler. I think that Davion Mitchell is going to have moments, and he's going to put himself in the situ- in a position to make enough shots that he can certainly lead them in scoring. And then I think that there's just like an outside chance we get a Matt Meyer like six three-pointers made. Type game. You think is it more likely that Meyer does it or Teague? Honestly, in my opinion, Meyer, because wow. I think I think that he can stretch. He can either either he's gonna have a mismatch and he's gonna have a guard mm-hmm. on him, or he's gonna have Timmy. If he's the five offensively for Baylor, he's gonna have Timmy trying to guard him on the perimeter, and with Meyer's foot speed, I can't imagine that Timmy's gonna be up on him and allow him to just drive past him. Whatever. So I think that Meyer is going to have, Meyer's going to have a good amount of three point looks. My next number is a pair of numbers. It's a tandem: sixty three point nine and one hundred and thirty four. So sixty three point nine is the shooting percentage on two point attempts that Gonzaga shoots. That is the all time best record for two point shooting proficiency for Gonzaga. I think Princeton at sixty three point one percent is the all time mark. I don't remember what year that was. Baylor 134 is their nation ranking in two-point field goal defense. Very average. Does that scare you? I mean, the reason why Gonzaga's numbers are so high is because they get so many buckets in transition. And that's the part I don't feel like people focus on when they see that number because they just see two-point field goal percentage and you're thinking like... You're thinking post-hooks, yeah. But... You don't shoot a lot of threes in transition, and your field goal percentage in transition is pretty high because there's nobody to stop you. So that's part of it, right? But I am a little bit concerned only because I worry about if Vital does get into early foul trouble or Shamoshash or something like that, I worry about Timmy being able to seal up the lane and create free driving lanes for a Yai, Nemhard, and Suggs. I but I also will say, sorry to cut you off. No, you're good. I, I also will say that that Gonzaga number, although impressive, is weighted up because of the level of competition they played in the regular season. Certainly true. I think that the the way that Gonzaga has performed against Power 5 competition in the tournament and just the consistency with which they score easy buckets from two forces Baylor to have so much more offensive. I think that there is more offensive pressure on Baylor on a possession-by-possession basis in this game than there is on Gonzaga because Gonzaga's offense is more likely to be layups, drives, Timmy post-touches against um, defenders that he can take advantage of, whereas Baylor, like you mentioned, they make it look easy at times with the shot quality that they that they get in terms of pull-up jumpers and fadeaways and step-backs and whatever. They make it look easy because they're really good shot makers, but they're not easy shots. So I think that the 
level of execution being asked of them. That's why we saw UCLA shoot out of its mind and shot quality said 98% of the time in that game, Gonzaga wins. And like UCLA outperformed its shot, its points uh, expected by over 10 points in that game, whereas right. Gonzaga hit exactly what it was supposed to based on the shots they took. All right, moving on. 38.13 is the next number. That's Gonzaga's adjusted efficiency measure according to our good friend, I'm saying our, Ken Palm. That would be the best in the history of his site, which dates back to 2002. Shout out Indiana for making that national championship game. The previous three best, 2015 Kentucky, 2008 Kansas, and 2019 Virginia. 36.91, 35.21, 34.21, or 22, excuse me. Um, I think that 2019 Virginia team, sneaky good. Um, and was overshadowed just because we spent that entire year fawning over Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and such. Yeah. But we don't need to – we can move past this quickly because we've already kind of flushed out where we think Gonzaga ends up all time based on yeah, sure. what happens this. But the fact of the matter is they've absolutely drubbed everybody they played, including the non-con schedule, and the fact that West Virginia – at eight points was the closest game they had before UCLA right. says a lot about them. Right. Yeah. All right. I mean, I don't think anything. Yeah, we'll yeah, we'll just con- continue on. Number one, we've we've had these flash and blow on the stream. So anyone who's been in here and chilling has seen this. Either way, whether Gonzaga wins, it's their second national title game appearance since 2017, second in school history. Baylor is in its first national championship game since 1948. Either team winning, it would be the first title in school history the last two stats i have we don't need to debate them they're just interesting notes 1987 um davion mitchell had 12 points 11 assists zero turnovers he was the first player to have double digit assist without a turnover in a final four game since the year 1987 and zero i think this is interesting maybe you worry a little bit about this um historical precedent i guess i would argue past um the past of this Baylor team, the past of Scott Drew, has little to do, little impact with what happens yeah. tonight. But Baylor had never defeated a team seated two or higher before they beat Houston. So that's wild in the NCAA tournament. I mean, because you know, shout out Bill Henderson, who got them to back-to-back Final Fours in the fifties. And so I that get was before they did seating. And I that yeah, way before they did seating. Yeah. But that's wild to me. I mean, how is that possible? You, I mean, if you if you only go to the Elite Eight three times in your uh, program history, which is what Scott Drew has done at Baylor, and the three times that you've got there, you've a made it to the tournament like mm-hmm. you like you did this year, beating a three seed, so that doesn't count. Yeah. And the other two times, like I mentioned last week on the show, the two times that Scott Drew got to the Elite Eight, guess who he lost to? The eventual national champion Duke in 2010. They were one seed. In 2012, the eventual national champion, the number one overall seed, the Kentucky Wildcats led by Anthony Davis, and that Baylor team gave Kentucky a game, so um, or at least gave them a sure. game for stretches. So I just thought that was a weird note. I couldn't believe that they hadn't fluked their way into winning like a 7-2 matchup or a 8-1 at some point, wow. but um, that's, that's of note. I mean, I don't think it has any... It's just interesting. It's just interesting. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. No, for sure. We're getting caught up in a lot of weird and wacky numbers. Like, how is that possible? And I think, you know, they might be better to focus on the actual matches. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, 
All right, let's get to, I mean, maybe this tickles my fancy a little more than yours, but let's go to gambling over under guesses. Just are you a prospect? Makes me makes me more excited to discuss. I no, I understood. What we're gonna, we're gonna go. All right, we're gonna go gambling lines. Okay. So, I want to get your initial thoughts. Vegas put a look ahead line out before the final four games happened. They said if if Houston beats Baylor and they play Gonzaga, Houston would be an eight point underdog. If Baylor beats Houston, which is what happened, and they play Gonzaga, they will be a six-point underdog. Then Gonzaga comes out, they lose in or they they win in overtime in close fashion against UCLA. The number moves to five. It gets bet down to four and a half. Does that scare you? Do you think that we're essentially my question? Do you think we're overreacting to Gonzaga getting a close scare from UCLA? No, but I think that we are adequately reacting to. Baylor being back and like both Scott Drew and Jared Butler pretty much implying as much as after they whooped Houston, they were asked, do you feel like you're back? And they admitted they, A, for starters, felt like they weren't at their best for a stretch and then B, secondarily, did feel like they were in fact back. Back and I think and they that, look like that, it. They look is, like it. They look like it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's confirming your suspicion that like they weren't themselves for a while. So I think that's what is eliciting this movement in the betting line because so much as two months ago you were saying Baylor, you prefer Baylor to Gonzaga, and I think that was because of the competition that they were playing. Yeah, that's what was, I was saying. Was, that was a and they were dominant, and it, that was like a wishbone split amongst the college basketball community of which team you know, people would rather have. So I think this is, you know, where it always should have been. Yeah. Like four and a half still feels a little rich to me, but I just betting a four and a half point line, like that is a very slim margin. Four and a half, four and a half is interesting because it's a key number. So like Baylor could be down three late, go for a three for the tie, foul, free throws, Gonzaga wins by five. That's why it's that's why it's huge that it's four and a half and not five. I think it's interesting. I think that to a certain extent we might be overthinking it and and just Gonzaga is really, really good, um, and like I've alluded to earlier, I do think that they their offensive game plan is probably going to put more pressure on Baylor than Baylor's will on Gonzaga because I think Baylor's just going to say, we're going to try to make tough shots. Yeah. And if we do, we're a better three-point shooting team than UCLA. We're going to lean on the three-ball more than UCLA did. We're going to try to beat you with threes rather than mid-range jumpers, but we're going to try to do the same thing as, as they did. That's a possibility. In terms of pace, Yeah. Over under set at one fifty nine and a half. That's essentially eighty points per team. Are we getting there? That's gonna be really tough. I mean, the thing with the thing with Gonzaga, right, is that they aren't impossible to score on. They aren't impossible to stop. So I think Baylor will get points. Yeah. So okay, here's. I, I think I think the over will probably hit. Here's here's the thoughts. Baylor overs are fourteen and three in their last seventeen, so they love to hit overs. Gonzaga is two and three hitting the over in this tournament. However, a large thing that has to influence Gonzaga's whether they hit overs and unders or not is when they're winning by so much, they are more willing to slow the tempo down the last eight to ten minutes of the second half. And that's what happened against Oklahoma. 
with what happened against Creighton. Mm-hmm. Um, it was those type of performances. So I wouldn't be surprised. I've, same thing happened against USC. It was so it was so not, it just wasn't close to the point where Gonzaga slowed things down, and right. that's the way things go. You think they walk the ball up the floor? Do you think they try and take a page out of UCLA's playbook that way? Baylor? Because Baylor does like to play a little bit faster, too. I think it's going to be running and gunning, and if, if the over doesn't hit, it's because it gets so wild that there's, like, the the pace is frantic, but neither team is fouling. They're taking jump shots, and the jump shots are just... yeah. Defensively, both teams are playing good enough defense that the shots aren't falling. Yeah, and, and Baylor also does have the personnel to make it hard on Gonzaga defensively, more so than anybody that Gonzaga's seen so far this year. UCLA was defending on a string and still was gave up ninety. Yeah, gave him ninety three in OT, yeah, exactly. 80, 81 in regulation, and Gonzaga shot closer to sixty percent than fifty percent. Um, I still have not found, still have not found. Uh, an example of a team that shot every player that stepped on the court that took a shot shooting above 50% that lost that game. I still haven't found an example of that. Um, So who knows? All right. Player props, points, assists, rebounds. I'll give you the list is right here for you. What stands out to you? Jared Butler, 15 and a half for points. That would be the one that I would hit. Okay. Drew Timmy, 21 and a half is massive. He's been doing it every game. He only had 21 in regulation against UCLA and then scored six straight in the first two minutes of OT. So, if, are you, if you don't think Vital is going to be a very big role in this game, so you think that Flo Thamba or Shama Shashua is going to be able to shut him down? I don't know if, if they're going to, I don't know if, if you're betting the under. Yes. Because that seems like the logical thing to bet. I wouldn't touch the over 21 and a half. I mean, betting the over would be assuming that Timmy is just going to do whatever he wants. He's not going to miss free throws. They're going to give him the ball. It's going to be all twos, essentially. So you need, like, nine or ten twos from Timmy, which seems like a lot. Like, he needed OT. I, I, I think the under is a play there. The Suggs thing, the Suggs line at 15.5 is interesting because it was it was 15.5 for the UCLA game. It also doesn't hit if it doesn't go and to it, OT. It doesn't hit if it doesn't go to OT. It doesn't hit if he doesn't bank in a three for the win. Right, he doesn't score that. He averages 13 a game, 13.9 yeah, a game. He's the third leading scorer on this team. Um, he may be their best basketball player, but he's the third leading scorer on this team. I think the Kispert line is interesting because Kispert's not had a game in this tournament, and it feels like he's due. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm interested, and maybe let's take a moment now before we move on to the assists and rebounds lines here. How do you think Baylor chooses to match up man-to-man to start this game? So, like, who do you think? I, who, yeah, who's going to guard who? Okay. I think you put Davion Mitchell and Suggs. I explained this as I, you do what is possible to avoid downhill drives that force the defense to collapse yeah. and create kick-out lane. Because yeah. we know Suggs is a, is a yeah. great passer. Right. So I think you put Davion Mitchell on Suggs. I think you put Jared Butler on Corey Kispert. I think you put Macy Oteague on Ayayi. Because Teague feels like the guy that you need to hide. Maybe you put... But there's nowhere to hide. That's the problem. I mean, the hiding spot is Ayayi, and you hope that he And we doesn't... saw what happens when, you know... When you he's put... hitting shots. Or you put, like... 
I guess it was was it Jules Bernard who came out to start that game guarding him? I think so. And he was able to quickly get Bernard into foul trouble and just rip off everybody who was in front of him. Now, he got a lot of those points in transition and got a lot of lucky rolls off the rim for those points, but I do, it's just it's defensively, I feel like you're going small. You're putting Meyer out there. I think that's who you use to guard Ayayi. And you ask the least efficient of those four guards, which is Nemhard, to beat you, and you ask him to shoot threes. You play off him. You're switching every screen. And that's why I think Vital at center is what makes sense. I don't think that's how they will start the game. I think it could be what they end up having to do to have a chance, is that they put Vital at center, they switch everything, they play Meyer at the four, because Gonzaga's going to go small too. And then you force Gonzaga to make a choice, if it is working for Baylor, to play like Greg or Umar Balo and actually play like a true center next to Timmy, who, by the way, apparently is a forward because he won the Malone Award for best power forward in college. Well, he, he is a power forward, but like... But not in the lineup that they actually play. He's the center. Mark Vital is better served if Anton Watson is on the floor than if an extra guard is on the floor. And the other thing you can do with Vital on the offensive end of things is you can run those side pick and rolls and get Vital or even use Vital as an off-ball screener and then have him slip to the rim for lob dunks because you talked about Timmy's lack of foot speed. If you get him out there in an island where he's having to make a choice, I trust Vital to win that foot race to the rim. Mm-hmm. So that could be interesting too. I'm fast. I can't wait to see what Scott Drew does with Mark Vidal because I I, would love I have a him. sneaky suspicion that he's not going to have much to do with the last four minutes of this game. I would love to see him, though, in the first half, the first six minutes, like catch two or three like just bodies. I think he'll... He he's going to come out like a house of fire. He will, have, he will have one dunk and like, that will go, go nuclear on Twitter, and maybe we won't hear from him late in the second half. Um, the assist... I'm so confused by these because Mitchell five and a half. That's a big number in college basketball. That's a big number in college basketball. He's coming off eleven, but also he could just go for twenty and have like twenty and two assists, and it could be Jared Butler yeah. with seven assists. He, Nemhard, honestly, at four and a half feels like the safest one because most of the time he is creating for others rather than looking for his right. own shot on this team, and he's the of the Gonzaga starters. He's the only one that I know going into the game. With the other four, it's like Russian roulette in terms of is he the like we've heard Corey Kispert essentially say Gonzaga knows which matchup they want to exploit going into. They're not going to tell you who who they're going to exploit, and then they're going to just do it. Nemhard is not one that they go to, and they're like, "Hey, go get fifteen tonight, go get twenty tonight." But everyone else can be. Mm-hmm. So I think that Nemhard over four and a half assists where he facilitates, and especially if Kispert, like you said, has a big night as he's due for it, missed a couple really good looks that he normally makes against UCLA from right. three, those are assists for Nemhard. So I like I like Andrew Nemhard over four and a half. I don't think that's a bad shot at all. Uh, I think the logic checks out. I think all these assist lines are kind of risky. Suggs feels high. Suggs feels high. I, he's a splendid passer. We saw it on the block and pass that he had. Um, he That is maybe one of his best NBA traits is his ability to change directions and speeds and then pick the open passers off of his drives. 
five and a half again is a lot. Joel Ayayi is the one that I that just because the number's so low and two and a half. Yeah, two and a mm-hmm. half. And I think he, he's a guy that may he's usually around that number, but he's also a guy that had a triple double earlier this year and he could hit can, it easily. Yeah, can do that. He average if he's triple driving off Macy Oteague, and then they're shuffling hard to recover. He averages two point eight assists per game, so above that that line. Rebounds, nothing really sticks out to me. The the Drew Timmy line is down from it had been seven and a half for like every game, and then he kept hitting six. Now it's at six and a half. Did they give a number from one final? Um, let me check. Crazy number just for Baylor as a team. Against Houston, they had 26 missed shots and had 13 offensive rebounds. Yeah, they got half their misses. It was and They hit the offensive glass hard. They're one of the top 10 offensive rebounding teams in the country. They're also top five in steals for forced per possession. So they create a lot of extra possessions, and that could be a key battleground tonight for them to keep it close. I'm not seeing a vital over-under at the first place that I <laughs> would check. Um, his, let me see, Mark Vital, Mark Vital, he is, do, 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 this is great content, five and a half is his, his line, I, I don't, smash that, I would go under, I would smash, I would that. go under, I would go under, I will put that on the record, under five and a half rebounds for Mark Vital, because I know he's not necessarily statistically that great a rebounder, but I just, he's going to get two or three effort offense rebounds, he already has. I don't think much. he. I don't put him in the back pocket. I don't think he plays that much in the second half, and I think that's tough. Um, I can't wait to be right about three this. point makes. Okay, three point makes. I like three of these. Jalen Suggs, Joel Ai. Each of them have over one and a half. They're both plus money odds. Or Matt Meyer over one and a half at plus one fifty two. He's gonna get six of them up, and you just need him to hit two. Matt Meyer's going to come out chucking. He had his game last game. He he led them in scoring a couple games ago. He, just, he led them in scoring that. against Wisconsin. I think we think this game is going to be played at way different tenors is what I'm starting to understand. I think that we think it's going to be the same type of scoring. It's just we think that it might go different ways. Um, all right. Let's move on from that. Um Matchups to watch for. You're super excited about Mark Vital. I'm super yeah. excited about Davion Mitchell against Jalen Suggs. What else stands out to you? Um, and then we'll go to news of the day before right. game predictions and scholarships and sanctions. So I, I'm really excited to see Butler versus Kispert if that is how it, it lines up because those two guys have showed so much love for each other in the run-up to this throughout mm-hmm. the tournament. Uh, both of them have been asked – you know, who is your favorite player to watch in college basketball? And they said each other. I think that one will be massive. I think both guys will score the ball a lot in this game, too. There's also just the parallels of both being All-Americans. Yeah. And then you come into this tournament, and Jalen Suggs has outshined Kispert, and Davion Mitchell has outshined yep. Jared Butler. Both guys that didn't have to come back this year but have. That's and Jared Butler in theory could come back again next year. Doesn't I? He, so he, he Kispert, theoretically, he well, not well Jared Butler is a junior, so he would be a quote unquote senior. Um, the other matchup that stands out to me that I know we're going to get a, at least a dose of is 
Everyday John against Drew Timmy. And vertically, John has the ability to maybe kind of some problems. They're like equal height. Yeah, and I'm talking about his leaping ability. Mm -hmm. Um, He's going to have to put a lot of energy, though. Yeah, and I, 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 a lot wanted a lot more than Drew Timmy. The way that I think Baylor could get ugly or lose is they get super. Well, they have to be super reliant on the three because they don't have an inside presence offensively to score that much. Because Chama Chachua had eleven in the the final four game, and it was the first time that he had scored double figures in twenty twenty one. Um, he had four games of double figures back in December, and this was the first one since then. They're not going to get 11 points out of everyday John against Gonzaga. Yeah. So the jump shots are going to be important, but I think the defense against Timmy and the rebounding. He just he can't allow second-chance second, second chance points. He right. can't allow a Yai to come in for offensive rebounds. Yeah. Jalen Suggs coming off for offensive rebounds. I know Kispert got a couple against UCLA over Hawkes. Um, stuff like that. Everyday John has to clean the glass tonight. I think that if Baylor does not significantly dominate the hustle points, they are going to get blown out. It won't be a blowout. No, well, listen to what I just said. But I, that's my problem with that statement is entertaining the thought of Baylor getting out hustled is not worth it because they won't. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. I'm just saying that if Gonzaga is able to keep them from winning the fast break points, that might not be fair to say because, again, we've talked about how Gonzaga will turn a fast break out of nothing. But if they don't win the turnover battle in the offensive glass by a cumulative margin of 10, I do not see them winning this game. It'll be, yeah, it I think it's just so evenly matched, honestly. And the, the the positional battles, aside from Vital, they all match up pretty, pretty well. And what you love is that they are personnel-wise fairly similar, but there are distinct stylistic differences in how each team plays that are going to be fascinating. You know, it's the whole old adage, styles make fights. That... Those little battlegrounds are going to be the things that, you know, we're really as, like, deeply rooted college basketball fans are going to be watching, I think. And that's where we're going to be really entertained to watch this game develop. It's the reason why I think even our good friend Carson Brever would admit, like, there's different ways to win at the college basketball level. And at the NBA level, sometimes it just comes down to... Who's got the best guys? Which team has the better guys and which team makes 23s in a game? That's the way that it goes. Do you want to do other news first or do you want to do game predictions and then other news? It doesn't matter to me. Let's let's start with the news coming out of North Carolina specifically. Okay. So, Hubert Davis appointed as the head coach for UNC. I said on Thursday's program, UNC will have a head coach by Monday by the national championship game. They do. So, that was a decent call for us. I don't know necessarily how excited North Carolina fans are. It's a guy within the family. It is the first black head coach in UNC basketball history. It's the guy that Roy Williams told Bubba Cunningham to hire. But then you also have Jeff Goodman coming out and reporting that players 
from the past of this program were saying that Wes Miller would have been just as good of an option. So maybe some infighting, some um, yeah, disagreement and as ever, to who it was. But it was yeah. always going to be a Carolina guy, it seems like. Yeah, and I, I think having Roy Williams so involved in the hiring process made that fairly evident from the jump. I just I don't see a world where anybody was going to be – or everybody was going to be all the way happy with it. But I will say this one was a little bit off the board. You made the point that if it doesn't work, you got to pivot quickly, and I agree with that. If you look historically about programs that have had a great coach for a long period of time, if they don't get the next hire correct, if it festers, it's usually the downfall of that program for an extended period of time. And UNC got lucky the last time when they messed up or didn't necessarily hand the baton off the, the most efficient way between Dean Smith and it took a couple of years before – Roy Williams came in, and people have said over the last couple of days since he retired, like he, Roy Williams saved North Carolina basketball from becoming what Indiana basketball has been. And you hope that the hope with Indiana is that Mike Woodson reunites the family, reunites the Bob Knight ties, which you can have your your disagreements with Bob Knight and the the caliber of way that he coached games and the way that his style translates to modern day basketball. But like the the interwoven fabric of the Bob Knight tree at Indiana, it was important to bring that back in some extent and bring it back with someone who has the respect, the NBA um, caliber talent and, and understanding with Mike Woodson. So I guess North Carolina is trying to avoid being put in the situation that Indiana is, but they're trying to do it in the same way. You know what I mean? Going within the family hire and such. So that's interesting to me. Speaking of Indiana, mm-hmm. if you don't have anything else to go with with UNC, we can pivot to Indiana. Big news as we've been doing this pod, Christian Lander announced that he is no longer in the transfer portal. He's going to go back to school. That's big. And not only has Indiana hired Mike Woodson, they've got Thad Mata as a director of basketball operations. Mm-hmm. they got Dane Fife, who is an Indiana guy, was on the national championship runner-up team in 2002 that lost to Maryland. So... Indiana's bringing the family back together, it seems. And I think that's that had to happen for this to work, right? Yeah, I was not impressed by the hire they made. But I will say that I am gathering confidence in some of the early decisions being made surrounding that hire. I would, I, yeah. It's, I don't know what year one of Mike Woodson with Archie Miller's guys looks like. I don't know if I don't think that the talent there is the same that Jawan Howard walked into at Michigan. No, but I'm pretty confident that Mike Woodson is going to get most of these guys back, right? And he's going to get some but other talent. There's a major difference in the fact that Michigan was moving on from a guy who had taken another job as opposed to a program in Indiana that was firing a guy. But I don't think that the the issue is I don't think that Indiana's talent was that poor. Like, that was a tournament team that completely fell apart because Archie Miller, in all four years that he was in Bloomington, had stretches of 1-5 and or 2-6 and in Big Ten play every single year. He just fell apart in February. That's why we called him Marchie Miller, but he just couldn't get to March. (laughs) Yeah. So that's tough. Um, Bill Self announced his lifetime deal with Kansas. That happened last week. We don't need to go... Too in depth on that because it's not legitimately ever a lifetime deal. It just renews every and single off season. It's just a 
backing from the school to me that says that we know whatever's coming is coming from the NCAA and we do not care. We don't. Well, we support a, you regardless. You are our head coach, no matter what the NCAA says. He's the best basketball, pure basketball coach that Kansas has ever had. That, that is high praise. That's what I would say. And he's two, three years away in terms of if he wins at the same pace that he has been, and I don't see why he wouldn't. He's two to three years away from becoming the all-time winningest coach at Kansas. So, including the father of the sport, who. Statistically, was the worst coach in that school's yep. history. Um, interesting thing to know. It it is, it is Kansas doing what Arizona did not in terms of. And I, I Bill Self to Sean Miller comparisons should not be made, but both programs in somewhat of trouble. Certainly, other programs out there negatively recruiting against them, and Ari- yep. Arizona hung Sean Miller kind of out to dry and still hasn't necessarily figured out what his extension deal is going to be or whatever. He's As of now, Sean Miller is going to coach with a year left on his deal, and Bill Self was going to be close to doing that and then sign this deal. So, And that all happened without KU having an athletic director. So that's impressive. Um, yeah, who made that? Was it the chancellor? The chancellor. Okay. And I'm sure Bill Self's agent was like, hey, let's just let's get, get this done. Get it done. done. Um, get her done. I mean, Bill, Bill has been there for, I think, three – Maybe four once they hire the the new guy, I think it'll be four athletic directors potentially during his time at Kansas. So I'm sure that he has just as good a relationship with the chancellors as he does with any athletic director um, in that respect. Porter Mosier leaving Loyola Chicago to take the gig at Oklahoma. That is the Big Ten. Uh, I think that the Big Twelve coaching sphere did it get better this off season? Maybe no. maybe not. No no what no okay. I think that Oklahoma is in as good of hands as they could have hoped. I can't believe that that's we where We have no at. idea if Porter Mosier's system can work on a game-in, game-out level in a conference of that caliber. That's true. We don't And, and we don't know what Chris Beard's going to look like at his alma mater with those expectations. And it's hard to tell how he can do as a recruiter. Porter? Yeah. Yeah. On that level, getting talent that can hold up the – he and he may be fine in that regard. But I think it's far from conclusive to just say because of the tournament runs and the style of play that they played at Loyola that he will just kill it at Oklahoma. I think he will, but I'm not gonna jump that real quick. We'll see. It feels Chris Beard ish, in my opinion, in terms of a smaller conference guy. Maybe. If he can recruit and then get that talent to play his style, they'll be a dangerous team for decades. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to think of what they would have been like with him coaching Manic, Reeves, and Harmon and, and, and such. Um, last thing, we watched the Stanford-Arizona Women's National Championship game last night. Stanford wins 54-53. First national championship for Tara Vanderveer in 29 mm-hmm. years. Um a long time coming because that's her third national championship, and you, you wouldn't have thought it'd be that's no. that yeah. spread out. Um, anything stand out in particular for you? Haley Jones was really good as a sophomore. Ari McDonald, not her best, but Arizona outperformed expectations all year long. And yeah, ASU somehow beat that team. Yeah, ASU did somehow beat that team. Um, I think that the game was highly competitive. It again signifies. The slow evolution of the sport. You pointed out that the the women's game is 
just chronologically behind the men's game in terms of when it started. So it makes sense that now there is more of the stratification of talent and more diversity of who can like get to this national championship level. Um, I think obviously the ending sequence, I saw a lot of people raving on Twitter about how great a game it was. I think that it was high, again, highly competitive. Nobody can justify to me the end of that game being good basketball. The last two minutes were ugly. were really bad. Um, but it was dramatic and it was fun. Yeah, to watch. and that's what matters preeminently. This the women's game is just going to continue to improve. It's going to continue to get better. And you know, I think that we were having similar conversations. Probably whoever the uh, equivalent to you and me are 30, 40 years ago that we're having right now about in terms of quality and play and some of those things, having the same conversations about men's basketball. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I think that it, this is getting maybe, maybe getting ahead of, ahead of myself in terms of tonight. If Baylor wins this national championship, then I think, I think if we play the 2020 tournaments, the men's and the women's tournament, I think Kansas wins the national championship in men's. I think Oregon wins the national championship in women's. And I think that... We, I was not sold on that Oregon. I think that... Okay, I, that's who I would have picked. I think yeah. Ionescu would have would have dominated. I, It would have been a monumental two-year run for the Pac-12 in women's hoops. Mm-hmm. And the Big 12 in that Texas Tech the year before was in the national championship game. Runner-up. That conference is doing well. Baylor won the whole thing on yeah. the women's side. And... To some extent, the the Big Twelve has to cash in on one at some point. Like tonight is huge for the conference because the longer that it goes on, that you get further and further away from two thousand eight Kansas being your last national champion, and you have the duds. I know Kansas ran into Anthony Davis in twenty twelve. I know that Buddy Heald got absolutely demolished by that Villanova team, and, and it's just one of those what can you do about it? Has the Big East been the most prolific conference in that twelve year gap? It's been the ACC. Well, the Big East has four. The ACC has multiple. North Carolina, Duke. If we're going back to 08, 09 was North Carolina. 10 was Duke. 15 was Duke. So they've got five. The Big East has UNC. 19 was Virginia. Yeah. It's 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 the the ACC ACC and the Big East. That's why I said the ACC this year was the Pac-12 with way better branding because of years past. Um, I just think that these last three years have been a pretty good run for – Pac-12 women's hoops, they cashed in. Big 12 men's hoops, they need to cash in or else you start getting into a territory where that that 08 Kansas title becomes like the 2000 Michigan State title for the Big 10. You know what I mean? Yeah. You start to worry about, hey, this conference is really good and they beat up on themselves during the the year. They don't win the national championship very much. So there's, there's where we're at. Let's do game predictions and then scholarships and sanctions. Yeah, so I think that Gonzaga is going to win this game. I think that it will be close, but I think ultimately the prowess and power of Gonzaga bears out, and they win and cover. You win want me to give a cover. score? Yeah, give a give a true score. Um, let me go and give me your final four most outstanding player. Let me go eighty-five to seventy-eight, Gonzaga. Okay. A tournament most outstanding player. I feel like it just has to be Suggs. Part of me wants to say, I, I think Kispert's going to have a nuclear game tonight. Like 25? Like 30. Ooh, 
spicy take. I'm going Suggs for Final Four most outstanding player because I think Gonzaga wins tonight. I think that the shot that he hit against UCLA, the fact that not only was it just like one, not only was it the shot, it was also he stuffed the stat sheet as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, I would expect him to again tonight. I'm going, I'm not willing to say that this ga- this game is going to overtime, but I wouldn't be surprised if it does. And I'm going to predict a score that could happen in regulation, but also very likely could get to in overtime. You said 85-78. The Virginia-Texas Tech National Championship game was 85-77 in 2019. Which went to OT. Went, went to OT. I'm going to go Gonzaga 88, Baylor 84. I think that Baylor covers. I think that this is going to be a very close game. I think it's going to be a great game. Um, very high, very high expectations for this one. Yeah. Um, and I, let's get to some scholarships and sanctions. I'm pretty positive about all of these. I have mostly scholarships to roll with. Um, but let's hear where you're at and then send the people on the way before, so they can settle in and set up, get some dinner, get some yeah. popcorn set up. I don't know what, what people are doing for the game tonight, but. Let's go. Um, so I'll give a healthy, healthy scholarship to Ari McDonald because really bad decision-making at the end of that game, just throwing up a shot against a triple team. Really bad decision-making by the Stanford defense. Tara Vandeveer, by deciding to triple any player because that means somebody's going to be booty naked wide Two open. Two <laughs> Yeah, somebody – and there was a player who replaced from the corner, cut to the basket, would have been wide open for a layup if, you know, Ari – who's a – Given a shorter player, it was hard for her to see over that and make that pass. Um, but the fact that she put her team on her back like that and took down UConn pretty much, I'm not going to say single-handedly, but virtually single-handedly, that's incredible. Didn't have a single game in her career where she didn't score in double figures. I was hoping you'd say that. That's unbelievable. That's I not possible. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm certain that someone else has done that. I would, I would think so, you know? Maybe. Maybe like uh, Kareem. In terms of four-year players, uh, like one and Dunn's shirt. Well, even Kareem didn't play his freshman year. Yeah, because they weren't allowed to. But like in every game of their varsity career, I would have to. Well, I'm saying like it's even more impressive because she's done it for the length of time, the volume of games that she has. And that's the thing where if the women's game doesn't, we don't have to go super long on this. The women's game doesn't amend the WNBA early entry draft rule, and I don't. I don't think that they should because the financials behind it. Yeah, I just wouldn't suggest to, to girls to leave after a freshman year when you're gonna, you're not becoming like a millionaire. You're becoming a hundred thousand dollar, you know, whatever. It's not, it doesn't pay off like leaving for the NBA does right. at this point. So, seeing four years of McDonald is great for the sport and great for her in terms of development and overall accomplishments and, and stuff. And what, we get to really yeah. see people grow, and that's what. That's what men's college basketball used to be. Yeah, exactly. And also the fact that because she was there four years, she like truly is a legend at that school now. Yeah. Number is going to go in the rafters. Yeah. I'm, and I'm saying that's not what men's basketball and college exactly. basketball is this year. Except for tonight, in every sense of everything except for Jalen Suggs, <laughs> it's like old guys. How many Baylor players' numbers from this team get retired if they win? All of them? All, they're starting five? Butler for sure. Mitchell for sure, because Mitchell was a defensive player of the year in the Big 12, and probably is going to be maybe a third-team All-American. Not, and could be a highly drafted player. Yeah, he's going to probably go top 20 in the draft. That's probably that's a safe bet at this point. I would say. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody else. 
Macy Oteague, the problem with that is like he was really good, really good, but transferred into the program and didn't have he's not gonna have the cumulative stats. I don't know what the requirements are to become in get into like the Baylor ring of honor, so to speak, but that's where we'll go. I'm gonna give a scholarship to fly fishing. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah. Uh, Scott Drew said that he and his father are probably going to go to Spokane. Uh, How did you just know, say that? I do. I always I always say that wrong. I think it's is it Spokane. Spokane. Okay, whatever. Um, Scott Drew said he's going to go visit Mark Few. He said that they had the, is this the a pickleball thing to play pickleball and go <laughs> fishing. Yeah. They like to go fly fishing. They like to go bass fishing. They have a great relationship. Scott Drew said that these two guys have been. Praying for each other's teams before every game in the tournament, but uh, Drew said, "I guess he won't get that prayer text before this one." So, uh, these teams like each other too much. Like, yeah, this is gonna be. I want to see Mark Weidel just gonna... punch somebody in the first three minutes to set the tone. This is the second time in the last month, count not calendar month, but like thirty days that you've advocated for someone to get physical punched. violence. That's the like, kind you of were, guy you, I am. you were I'm like sorry. somebody needs to punch I, football, guy, football guy, football guy. Football guy. Yes. Football. So I'm going scholarship for fly fishing. What else you got? I can always get behind it. You've been fly fishing? It's a good time. I have been. That's a very good time. I have been. Relaxing. Especially if you're good enough at it not to get your fly caught in the trees behind you. That's true. Because that's happened to me before. Um, and then all of a sudden you've caught a branch. Yeah. Um, I would just say, again, just a crystallizing scholarship. The fact that this college basketball season happened – the fact that we are here with this, what is tantamount to a national championship that could go down as like one of the very best ever in any college sport in terms of the nature of the two competitors. Um, yeah, this tournament has been one for the ages, probably one of the top 10 tournaments ever, and it can only get better tonight. And I think I'm fully expecting it too. I I was along the same lines as you. Scholarship to one shiny moment because it's back. Oh yeah, a scholarship. To, Hell yeah, a scholarship to. We saw this video and just smiled ear to ear. Bill Walton watching the Jalen Sugg shot just was incredible. What a game was the only thing that he said. Oh yes, I love basketball. Clap, Gonzaga. Go Pack 12. The fact that back he had that happen to his alma mater and was just like, you know, yes, this is what a game. That was all he said. The man just genuinely is who he is and loves well, basketball. Basketball, yeah. Um, I'm not even gonna give my sanction. My sanction was just gonna be, no, I'm not gonna give it. I don't want to end on negativity, but I, I'm not gonna give the sanction to the people that deserve the sanction. I will just say, it's a crime that Mark Few is not the AP Coach of the Year. Meeting expectations, meeting high expectations. They went is, undefeated. <laughs> meet, meeting high expectations is every bit as impressive as surpassing average expectations. They are about to be potentially the second team ever to do it. <laughs> what? It's nuts. Undefeated. They had one opponent up until uh, two days ago play them within single digits. We both think they get it done tonight, too. We do. Become the second team ever to go undefeated. And, like, that just doesn't happen in college sports other than college football. Yeah. Any sport in which you play more than 15 games, it really just doesn't happen. 
That's certainly true. We will we'll be edge of our seats for tonight's game, and we will be back post-game to talk about it. We will. Check us out. So, Heat check. This is the end of the show. National championship game is in store. We hope you enjoy it. We hope it's a good one. Thanks for watching. You can never reach these hoes. Hop in the booth and we spin the truth. Aye. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. You. Ooh, flow so high so you know Aye. I had to run it back. Blazes the ball and we run it like a running back. Gabe brought chalk so you know Aye. we having fun with that. Turn you in the opps so you know Aye. we ain't no coming back. Now we done with that.